It's time for Animaniacs. Dance baloney in our slacks. Not really. Not really. But stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about storytelling and animation. I'm Chris Leva. Both of those things. I'm Chris Leva. I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we're talking about Animaniacs. I had bum, to sing bum. it since we, we didn't, we weren't very coordinated to do it together. No. I had to, was, I had to do it my turn. So. It was the, the worst way to do improv when you're talking really about like an animated sketch show. <laughs> so we have uh, Animaniacs is one of the shows that I've had in my psyche for a very long time. It's it's one of those shows that defined my childhood a little bit. Definitely high school. Um, it has a very personal significance for me as a reason why somebody didn't want to date me. It's, it's just really interesting. Not that you're still holding on to that at all. I'm not at all, but when some... When somebody looks at you and it's just in all seriousness, without an ounce of, you know, just no, no, um, what do I mean? Regret? N not Reservation? Regret. Not regret, not reservation, but when it's total, total sincerity when, and says, we can't be together. You like Animaniacs. I like Andy Warhol. It'll never work. Also, that's just the most untrue statement because Animanix references Andy Warhol, I think, in one of the episodes that we picked. And what I'm saying is, I, my argument was, it just shows that you haven't watched it, is what I, <laughs> is, was my argument, but it didn't go well. So, wow. Well, yeah, yeah didn't, didn't work out. So, but, Animaniacs, uh, outside of Chris's dating life, has uh, really left an impact, I think, on pop culture. And it's one of those rare properties that's so beloved that hasn't been rebooted or had anything happen to it at all. Um, and I think it follows in this long tradition of cartoons where you have like this wide cast of characters. It's kind of sketchy slash improv -y and things aren't really related. There's not really a timeline. I mean, I think of like Mickey Mouse and Looney Tunes and Animaniacs all being in the same flavor of cartoon show well in a lot of ways it's for the 90s it's the the creators going back to cartoons roots to the black and white characters and when we talk about this is this is fun because like the characters who are ahead of their time mm -hmm. so these are three characters where the the narrative of animaniacs is three characters who are ahead of their time People don't understand their movies, so they lock away the, the characters. They lock away the, the movies, never to be heard from again. And then they get released in a better time period where their shtick and their insanity and their just complete absurdity works mm -hmm. years and, and years later. Stylistically, I think they do look a lot like if, if Mickey Mouse and Oswald the Rabbit were one creature i think that's what yakko looks like yeah they're very close to um bosco from looney tunes you know from warner brothers early days so 
they're, they're it's just they know that period very easily and in drawing I, I was last you know last few days watching some animatics i was also doing some sketching and stuff and i'm like this feels like i'm drawing mickey it feels like i'm drawing these other characters because they have the same you know black outline and the same like i said arches into the point on their head you know and then the mm-hmm. ear things and the big but, eyes that are really like one pair of glasses like a big oakley's on their face or something exactly and then the, the big nose and then the mouth that just can do anything that it needs to do so it's it's just it can go tiny it can go huge i mean it can have mountains of teeth it could have just a massive red tongue come out of it. I mean, it can leave the face and do its own thing for an episode because that's what it can do, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it just comes out of this Warner brothers tradition, but an old, old tradition remade for now. So it's, it's almost, it does feel like a reboot and something of another time, but something completely of the, the 90s but it's ripping apart it's very much of its time and not at the same time it's very like if we're talking about it being in that vein of sketch stuff it's definitely a lot more loose with its standards of what is allowed to be in the show and i think part of the discussion today is could this could animaniacs be made now and i think for so many reasons i would say the answer is no um, I wish that it could be made now, but just rewatching some of these episodes, it's it's shocking what they got away with in the '90s. It's very shocking. Yeah, it's it's very shocking um, what they what they got away with. It's an amazingly. I I, I can't believe. Wa- I mean, watching it as a high school person, I was going to say high school <laughs> kid, but um, high schooled aged individual, young uh, adult. It's <laughs> a young adult. As a yay, as a YA, as a YA, I, I found myself. <laughs> I found it, um, it. It was hitting the humor exactly right. So I understood the adult jokes, and I understood the, you know, the easy jokes, the, the stuff that was more slapstick. That so it was right in the prime there. I think it hit hit with a bullseye, exactly what where I should have been to understand these jokes. Watching it now, I'm a little worried. Like, I can't believe that children were watching this. Like, this makes no sense for children at all. <laughs> like, children I should not. Fine. Oh no, no, no! I, I believe that you have. Um, this is not a value judgment on on you, Mackenzie. Um, at least in this particular instance, you're right. I, I just believe that there was just so much in it that would be uh, adult humor that. I don't. I don't know how it made it on the air. Like I, I just don't understand if if it's the virtue of Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. and Steven saying, "Yeah, it's fine," and because it had his stamp, and that's the only reason why some of these made it on the air, or if it was just a different time and we were able to, well, kids won't even understand it, and they were able to make an argument that it's okay. I mean, there's of course the very famous being popularized by the internet now the fingerprints versus fingerprints uh pun slash distinction of animaniacs uh, we're going to dust for fingerprints and so then dot brings in prints 
And then they say, no, fingerprints. And she goes, oh, no. And it's like, oh, it's a dirty joke that we as adults now, having grown up in Animaniacs, get this. That's funny. We like that. But now rewatching just some other episodes, um, I rewatched the companion piece, the B-side of Hooked on the Ceiling, which we're going to talk about shortly. It's the very first Good Feathers with the Pigeons. And they're just walking around New York saying, Coo you! Coo off! You don't know coo! And just putting in these pigeon coos for swear words. And I'm watching this going like, this doesn't make any sense if you're watching this as a kid. As an adult, it makes sense. It does make sense. But the whole thing that it's the Good Feathers, which is based on a film that no child should ever have seen. (laughs) Ever. Ever. I still haven't seen it. Um... (laughs) I'm a child at heart, though. And and The Godfather, you know, which hopefully, again, no child had, had seen. Um, it, it's just like, who is the audience is the is the first question that I come up with when, we, when we're sitting down to watch Animaniacs. Who is the audience that this is created for? It's either for adults or for children who are watching completely inappropriate things for their age. I wrote down that same question, but about a completely different joke, where the punchline is, it looks like an election ballot from Chile. I'm like, who is watching this show? (laughs) Who finds that funny? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Like, that's the punchline. Yeah. Yeah. I don't don't understand who they think is watching this show. (laughs) I don't know. That's, I don't know. I feel like Animaniacs would still be on. If it aired at like 8 p.m. on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's totally like a Simpsons for kids is what it is. I think if it was running like either before the Simpsons, do it at 730, do it at 830, you know, at one of those times, I think that it would still be on the air. I think Animatix would still be running. I think because they did it on Saturday mornings in some cases and in the afternoon in other cases that... I don't think that they were hitting the right audience. It's more risque than Bob's Burgers, but not quite as risque as like Family Guy. Right. It's it's smack dab in the middle. It's a sweet spot. It's it's it, the same trap of Ren and Stimpy, I think. Hmm. Which Wait. is more clearly adult than kid oriented, but right. This this feels very kid oriented, but it's totally not. <laughs> it's totally not. <laughs> I, I, I instantly regretted. Uh, I didn't. I, I waited till Jack went to bed to watch some of these episodes because I was like, I'm not. I'm not going to let watch Jack watch any of this. I know everything. Every, all of it is going to go over his head. It's not just the adult things that are going to go over his head. Other things. Like he's not going to mm. get any of it at, at his age. So he's not going to get any enjoyment out of it. He hates cartoon violence, and <laughs> he hates, like, uh, I don't know. There's so much word-based and word puns mm-hmm. that I, I just think of most of Animaniacs wouldn't be, wouldn't get a very hijack rating. This is very much a language-based show, which is odd that we haven't really talked about it before now in our podcast about writing and animation. <laughs> Well, sometimes it takes a while to get back to the seminal stuff. The seminal work of the 90s, the Animaniacs, <laughs> starring 
the characters Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, ostensibly the Warner Brothers and their Warner sister. Yes. Anyway. Well, so do we want to talk about one of the episodes? Yeah, let's do Hooked on a Ceiling. Yeah. Volume 1, Episode 4. The first half, the A-side. Yeah. Okay. The, the story. What's going on in this story? Uh, the plot of this is that Michelangelo is finishing his masterpiece, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and he fires all of his assistants. And for some reason, Michelangelo is like this Greek strange... toga? Well, first of all, he's wearing a Greek toga. This is like... I don't know much about Renaissance art. 14 to 1500 AD? Mm-hmm. Italy, I don't know. Yeah. They give him, they give Michelangelo a Greek toga, and no, everyone else is wearing like time appropriate garb in the background. Um, anyway, Maybe but they his, do well. It, it because, might be his work toga because he's painting. It's work toga. He doesn't he doesn't want to get stuff on it's, his real clothes, paint on his real clothes. His real togas. It's his work clothes. I don't know. I'm I'm trying to fix it dramaturgically after the fact. Twenty some years later yeah what they do i think really well in the setup of this episode is they give you a ticking clock right away he fires everyone and then he comes immediately back in a laments like oh his evidence is coming tonight and i'm not done with this work whatever will i do like and that's what you need for a slapstick like comedy fast-paced show it's like here are the stakes now go and it's improv. It's, it's like if you got up on stage and improv with someone in the first three lines, you have to get the stakes of the relationship of the characters down. I'm Michelangelo. This is the Sistine Chapel. I have to be done tonight. And then it's Chris's turn to say a line. And yes, and whatever I just said. Yes. And here are three crazy people who walk up to paint the ceiling. Yeah, for some reason. For some reason. So Yakko, Wacko, and Dot come in as ceiling painters and immediately become the ceiling painters of the 90s. So go pick out a floral pattern. Go pick out the wallpaper. We'll take care of it. Here's some samples. Here's some swatches. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of it. No problem. Send out. Send them out. So Michelangelo's out there looking at wallpapers like, oh, this is very nice. So I think it's Maurice LaMarche doing his best... Um, Kirk Douglas at the time, I, I mm. believe is what we're getting. Either that or is he's trying to do a, um, a Charlton Heston since Charlton Heston played Michelangelo uh. in the one movie. Oh, is that what it's going for? That makes sense. I don't know if it's... It, it feels like... It, it felt like Kirk Douglas more than Charlton Heston, so... <laughs> Sorry, Maurice. So, it's not his fault. It was the character design as well speaks a little more towards um, Kirk Douglas as well. I don't know. His eminence. I, I can't even do it. It's kind of strange. It was pretty accurate. Yeah, I don't know what was going on with his voice. But then they proceed to paint over the entire ceiling, just make it white. Mm -hmm. It's like, there, your ceiling's done. You got it. You lose everything. Like, oh, no, I don't want that. I want images of people. And then they paint all the tackiest late 80s, early 90s things you can imagine. Which no kid would find funny. So we have the mm -hmm. big eyes characters. We have Velvet Elvis at the end of it. <laughs> uh, dogs playing poker. <laughs> Which so, is probably the only painting that the kids would get. Right, right. The big eyes thing, uh, that's, 
even funnier um, now. But <laughs> Velvet Elvis at the end of it, just and he's just like, no, what have you done? Like, oh, he prefers early Elvis, young Elvis. <laughs> it's just, so how is that the punchline? <laughs> I don't even know. It's funny. Like, I thought it was funny back then. I think it's funny now. I don't think that I'm the the average person who was watching this show. No, I don't think you were either. And then we get then they go in and start to change the ceiling, and it's like, wait a minute. And and then it comes to probably the best line that that Yakko and them have. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You th- you want children to paint pictures of naked people all over a church that's that's what you want us to do we'll do it (laughs) but we're not doing it for art and we're not doing it for this we're doing it because we like painting naked people (laughs) it's like oh gosh that's something you could not do in a show today like for a kid show you couldn't say something like that which begs the question, how old are the, the Warner brothers and their Warner sister? How old are they if they were like, you want children? Are they children? Because they certainly... I think they're perpetually a certain age. But what? But are they children? The way they behave makes them seem like adults. They can't call themselves children, I would think. Maybe they're like that uh, villain from Batman the Animated Series who has that disease and she always looks like a little girl, but she keeps aging mentally. I just had to get Batman in this talk somehow. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how we how we got to that. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know. Cause it would seem that Yakko and Wacko are older because of their reactions to the nurse. I mean, Wacko's also like this weird like Ringo parody. I'm not really understanding the His basis bo- of Wacko. Yeah. I don't understand Wacko's voice, but he's funny. Yeah. He, I like his hat. <laughs> I like his hat and, you know, the fact that his tongue is mostly out at all times. Mm-hmm. I'm doing my impression right now. You can't see this if you're listening to this podcast, but you can. But my Im- tongue is out. <laughs> so going in through the, the other bit of the, the comedy karaoke doki mm-hmm. this this one is full of comedy that makes no sense to children yet again it's all yeah. adults it's all adults which i don't think i found it funny as a kid or as a, <laughs> as a high school aged young adult i don't know if i'd seen this one before i think i had seen it before because it felt very familiar especially the b-side as it was um but the um the plot of it just didn't make sense to me in terms of being funny for kids. I laughed at it when I was re-watching it, because I know I watched it before, but I was like, what, what is this even about? What are we even doing here right <laughs> now? What's going on? So tell uh, us about this story. Oh, I'm telling about the story. Okay, yeah, so the why plot not? is um, the Warner Brothers and the Warner sister wake up to this awful racket and they wonder what it is. They go down to some kind of charity karaoke event happening in the Warner Brother lot cafeteria. Um, and so they sign up to sing a song because they'd like to sing a song and do that. And then, um, what's his name? 
Willie Slackner. Yeah. Who is uh, not at all a parody of William Shatner. Willie Slackner is singing, and then he sings a second song, and they say, what's going on? He's such a bad singer. Why does he keep singing? And they find out he signed up 20 times in a row. And so the plot is, at first they try to get him to stop singing, and then they realize that if they just make him finish all the rest of his songs at this point, then they get to sing as well. And in the end, they do this, and he sings all of his songs, and he claps, and they try to get up to sing, and they say, no, you're not next, and they go to the second page of the karaoke sign-up list, and then knockoff Leonard Nimoy is singing. <laughs> and the punchline for this episode, which I think is Animaniacs as a whole, like this whole joke is encapsulates the entire show, as they say, oh, this is one big Star Trek gag, isn't it? Iris out already, and that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Like, they don't even make a joke. It's like, oh, it's a Star Trek joke. Okay, we're done here. And it's not even the current 90s Star Trek. It's like the 60s Star Trek that they're making fun of. Right. Which, again, who is the audience for this show? Because you have to know who William Shatner is. You have to know that William Shatner's done albums and singing. I'm proud of myself for not doing air quotes on that. Um uh, you have to know that he's released music, um, and and you have to know who Lemon or Nimoy was. So, no kids at this point, even if they did watch Star Trek, are really gonna be into Shatner and have this understanding of William Shatner in the same way. And if they did, if they just know, like, oh, I know what Star Trek is. None of the things in this episode look like the Star Trek that they would know. You're right. You're very right. And they it's just funny. And they call it out. As you said, they call it out. And I think the thing that makes their joke is that the joke is that, yeah, we noticed it. They're they're the kings and queen of meta. Mm-hmm. Everything is meta. Everything is happening within itself at the same time. Everything is meta. I started off watching these episodes, making a list of all the pop culture references in each segment, and uh, I gave up on that very quickly. Because it's just everywhere. It's just it's, part of it. There's no map. It's just everything. Everything is fair game, and everything will be used. I mean, even the even the final ending of Hooked on a Ceiling is just an inside meta joke of who his eminence is. Mm-hmm. They, they finish up the painting... And it turns out to be an E.T. painting, you know, of E.T. putting his finger out to Elliot. And they're like, and he's like, you've ruined me. And we find out, no, no, the most powerful person, his eminence is actually Steven Spielberg in Pope robes. Mm -hmm. And they do never say the Pope. They just say his eminence and it's Steven Spielberg. Because of course his eminence is Steven Spielberg. And even if you know from watching Animaniacs that it's Steven Spielberg presents the Animaniacs, or Steven Spielberg's the Animaniacs, or whatever it's called, um, <laughs> you don't know what he looks like. They don't say, like, oh, my name is Steven Spielberg, I directed E.T., and I like that painting. Right. You just have to understand that, oh, that's a caricature of Steven Spielberg, obviously. Because he has a baseball hat and a beard and glasses. I feel like if this show were made now, this would be the kind of thing where they'd have to, like, at the end, 
it'd be encouraging you to go out and Google all the jokes you don't get. Hashtag references from this episode or yeah. something like that. Pretty much. <laughs> and it could be like this whole merchandising tie in, like visit our website where there are ads, of course, to make money off that. Um, yeah. To learn more about the references than jokes in this episode. Yeah, oh, you don't know who Steven Spielberg is? Click here. Because one that I did watch was a Slappy Squirrel episode where mm. they they were doing, um, Skippy, her nephew, was doing method acting. And we had a caricature of Lee Strasberg. <laughs> which, who, who is this for? Who is it for? And we have, you know, like... We have all these people going through the actor's studio doing these, the method acting. <laughs> like, what, how is anybody going to know who these caricatures are? And they don't call any of them out. They don't mm -hmm. say any of their names. They just expect you to say, oh, I know who that person is. That's James Dean. Okay. That's Marlon. I get it. And it's young Marlon. You know, it's because <laughs> it takes place in the 50s. So why not? You're supposed Does to know who Does it take place in the 50s? Is that when it takes place? That particular episode. <laughs> that, I feel like the whole point of the Animaniacs show is not that they're crazy. It's that the whole world is crazy. It doesn't matter. You don't get the references. From an outsider's perspective, the entire world is insane. True. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, the world is insane. You don't have to know who William Shatner is. It's crazy that someone sings like that and has albums and thinks that he's good. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Yeah. I, I just keep, it, it, I, I don't want anyone to think any of our listeners to think that I don't like Animaniacs. I'm just like, you're just dumbfounded by, by some of this sometimes. It's just, yeah. I, I just, with all these new questions as an adult and thinking about <laughs> audience and having it in the forefront of my mind, it's just, Who's going to understand this joke? Not that it's not funny, but who are we, who are we writing for? Well, the we episode that, that I watched that I realized like this could not be made today was both an A and B side that I feel <laughs> couldn't be made now. And it was episode 30. The first half is hot, bothered, and beteveled. And in a Looney Tunes joke, the Warner Brothers and the Warner Sister have burrowed into hell by taking a wrong turn at Albuquerque or whatever they say. Not Albuquerque, because they can't say Albuquerque. But they say, like, Ithaca or something. <laughs> and it's just them messing with Satan. And they say, like, I'm Satan. I'm the devil. And you couldn't do that now. And the other half is Moon over Minerva, which is all about oh, Minerva goodness. Mink, who you should not Google. Don't Google that. I'm serious. Don't go Google that. And Moon over Minerva, it has all these animals, like lusting over this like very curvy female humanized mink person and the plot of this episode flips it in that she becomes lustful over this werewolf character who like gets these giant muscles and flowing hair but is really a nerdy wolf who he just turns into a muscular werewolf during a full moon <laughs> it's it's complicated dramaturgical issues <laughs> to say the least yeah um and there's a scene where Minerva Mink is showering and you see her silhouette like through a shower curtain. I'm like, you can't do that. I like that they <laughs> flip the whole like lust trope on its head and she's lusting after this male sexualized character, but you can't do that. 
Oh, goodness. Sexy animal people. Jeez. Yeah, that's <laughs> troubling. <laughs> <laughs> and it's troubling what it became, too. I mean, if, if you go out, and I think uh, it was not recently, but after, after I was... After uh, Animaniacs had stopped airing and I had wondered what was going on with Animaniacs, I was looking up some episodes and I think I looked up Minerva Mink and a couple things and you're just like, oh, goodness, what has the internet wrought with these characters? To be fair, that was around before the internet. The internet just made it accessible to everyone, sadly. Certainly. Certainly. I, I Yeah. The proliferation and sharing of questionable material <laughs> emphasis on fur and proliferation uh, yes anyway <laughs> let's talk about pinky and the brain yes let's talk about pinky and the brain both brain, uh, brain 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 one of the one of the groups of characters in the many groups of characters because animaniacs was a sketch show and they have pay for play contacts contracts Yes. So they have many, many characters. Um, Pink and the Brain were able to spin off successfully into their own show. Many of the other characters, Good Feathers, uh, Buttons and Mindy, who were essentially a one-joke thing of, oh, no, the girl's in trouble and the dog's trying to save her. And then the, um, who else? Rita and Runt doing their musical mm. theater. And I think that's most of it. I mean, they have smaller segments like the good idea, bad idea things, but none of those could really become their own show. Peaky and the Brain was the only thing that had a concept that could withstand and stand on its own. Mm-hmm. Even the Animaniacs themselves, even the Warner Brothers themselves couldn't stand on a show on their own. Like the, the show was about them, but it couldn't be about them. Their shtick could not sustain those 20 minutes just as a story about them. There's, there's no. always a B-side. It's like compressed air. In a can, it's useful. But as soon as you spray that compressed air into a room, you still have that same stuff. It's just in a bigger space, and it doesn't work. Yeah. It's a complicated metaphor. Yeah, it is. It is. Um I'm going to ruminate on that for a little while and see how I feel about it a little bit later. But let's talk about Pinky and the Brain. Just tell us who Pinky and the Brain are. Um, The Brain is Orson Welles and Pinky is Lenny from Of Mice and Men. There you go. Go. There's a show. Make it work. Oh, also they're lab rats uh, trapped in a cage and they want to take over the world. Done. That's it. (laughs) I think we're done here. (laughs) <laughs> and so they have like their own um, segment that happens on Animaniacs sometimes. They have, sometimes they have a whole episode, like episode 38, Spellbound, that's just only a single pinky in the brain plot. They get their own spinoff show, and their show gets a spinoff show, which is Pinky and the Brain and... Elmira. Elmira from Tiny Toons? Yep. Which we I don't have... talk of that. I never watched an episode of that spinoff of the spinoff. I don't think anyone did. I really don't. 
yeah, pinky Elmira in the brain, I think it was. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I, I never really watched that version of it. Because <laughs> it just didn't make sense to me. I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but tell us a little bit about um, what was going on in Spellbound. Well, Spellbound in typical Animaniacs fashion, it takes the characters and it commedia del artes them and it puts them in an unfamiliar situation that doesn't make sense dramaturgically. Suddenly, Pinky and the Brain are trapped in a cage in a wizard's den um, in like this fairy tale medieval world. And they're still trying to take over the world, but they're trying to do it with spells and magic instead of with science. Hmm. And so the whole point of this episode is they have everything they need right there, but they spill the dragon's toenail clippings and they need to go get more. So they've gone into this adventure to find a dragon and clip its toenails and then make a spell to take over the world. And the, the winning shtick of this episode is that Pinky is a bard and he keeps singing a two-line song. And he says one thing and it hands like, da-da-da-da-da. Word. Something... They're making progress like they're on a train. Their names were Pinky. His name was, uh, and then he thinks he can't think of a word to rhyme with train that fits in the lyrics of his song. And then Brain will say something like, brain, brain rhymes. <laughs> and that just keeps happening. And finally, at the last moment for the spell, Brain prefaces with stakes. So the audience knows the stakes. Pinky, don't interrupt me. I have to say the words of the spell exactly right without stopping or terrible consequences will happen. And of course, as he's saying the spell, Pinky decides to celebrate by singing another line of a song. And he can't think of a word that rhymes. Um, I forget what the first setup is, but he's looking for... Um, soon, Brain will be the big... Uh, the big... Uh, and Brain shouts, Cheese! You'll be the big cheese! And so the spell turns Brain into a big piece of cheese and that's the episode and that's the end of it <laughs> and they gave these characters their own spinoff i think partly because pinky had all the catchphrases pinky's catchphrases i mean i would watch a video of just those because they, they they just have a shtick and they, they they're a little bit like phineas and ferb in a way in terms of we have a very specific way these episodes happen this happens in every episode. This happens in every episode. This happens in every episode. And at the end, it doesn't work. Like, they, they have a very distinctive plot. At some point, we're going to get the joke where P Brain says, are you pondering what I'm pondering? And Pinky will say, I think so, Brain, but, and come up with something silly and ridiculous. And that's going to be I don't know joke. where to find an opera in Yiddish. Right. Uh, my favorite was, but where are we going to find rubber pants our size? <laughs> my second favorite is, um, I think so, but burlap chafes me so. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> so it, it's just the, it, it doesn't take itself seriously, but they it's, it's so well done in terms of hitting every single joke that they they put in you know what's going to happen before it does it's just the different setup and the different setting um one of the pinky brain episodes that i watched was meet 
John Brain, where Brain tries to take over the world through politics. Mm. So the Brain runs for president, um, and he comes in, and you just see him on newscasts. And everything that he says about taking over the world and people are misinterpreting what he's saying. They're like, oh, he's talking about this. Oh, he means he's going to do things for education. And oh, he means he's going to give people jobs. And he, like, <laughs> everyone is misinterpreting everything that he's saying. But he's just like, I'm going gonna, gonna to take over the world and I'm going to do this. And it's like, oh, he means he's going to do this for us. And it's like, great, I love him. And then they finally meet him in person. They're like, a mouse. And... That just is so ridiculous. Everyone laughs him off because there's no way that he could possibly become president. He's like, no, I'm still the same person with the same ideas. I'm just a mouse. And well, so his his polls start to tank, and then another candidate, um, candidate Boo. I was gonna say it's got to be the punchline is the chicken who's always in disguises. That's right, Chicken Boo who. Is always in disguise. His he's rising in the polls, so like, he's just a chicken. And there's he's all, a recurring character, but his shorts are just he's always a chicken in disguise or something. The punchline's always he's a chicken, like James Boo when he was J mm -hmm. this James Bond character. And there's always one person who's like, uh, "That's a chicken." <laughs> every, every <laughs> that's the joke. Is there because it wouldn't be funny unless there was at least one person to go. That's a chicken. That's I'm the, done. That's a chicken. That's the that's only reason that those um, the chicken boo shorts work is one person going, that's a chicken. <laughs> and then the plot of each one is how is the chicken's disguise, disguise going to fall off so he can be revealed to be simply a chicken and have the everyone else <laughs> understand the ruse. That's a chicken. Uh, I love it. I, I think there were two instances of Chicken Boo in some of the watching that I was doing over the past few days of rewatching Chicken Boo, just realizing just how ridiculous the concept was. I, I, it's all these ideas that couldn't stand on their own, but somehow together they make this Voltron of absurdity <laughs> and become this this different thing like on there to make some james bond jokes you know what the yakko wacko and dot that's three characters that don't really fit into that pinking the brain maybe but they're mice um you know it'd be funny if a chicken were dressed as james bond so we can make all the james bond jokes plus our chicken jokes will the chicken talk no 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 it's just a big chicken <laughs> there won't be any dialogue I don't get it. No, no, no. It's a chicken. It's a really big chicken <laughs> dressed as James Bond. And we get to do James Bond jokes. But the and chicken, chicken jokes. But the chicken doesn't talk. Why don't they? What does the chicken say? Well, the chicken doesn't say anything. It's a chicken. What does it say? Baca. Yeah. It, was, it might balk and every now and again and say baca every now and then. But it doesn't oh. talk. It's a chicken. I don't get it. It's funny. It's funny. It's just a chicken. I think that's most of what is going. But I think one thing that we should have on our show um, is I think we need to bring back the wheel of morality. I think mm. I think every show should have a wheel of morality. That's just that doesn't make sense. Yeah, I I do love their 
um, what is it? They're um, very lacking delivery on wheel of, morale, <laughs> wheel of morality. Turn, turn, turn. Tell us a lesson that we should that learn. We have it's like, so it, it, there has to be educational children's television. So let's give them a moral. And the moral of today's story is... Don't eat street hot dogs. <laughs> Where I think one was something like, do not back up severe tire damage. <laughs> it's like, okay. Thank you, guys. So... Is that your favorite thing? I don't know if that's my favorite thing. I I, I just think that it, it was just nice to rewatch this now as as an older adult instead of a young adult and just see what things still hold up and just what was really going on there and just how far they took things. It, it felt like it was... I, I never felt like they were taking things too far, but now I'm like, this is just be this is off the charts. I don't know, as whimsical as some of the things are, like they have the things like Yakko singing all the nations of the world and mm-hmm. Yakko singing all the words in the English language and you know the Wacko singing about the state capitals and maybe they sing about the ingredients in chocolate bars and ice cream and like. They've done some really whimsical stuff. And on, on the flip side, there's all this really dark stuff that, that's there too. Like the I don't think I think mainly the just the ogling of the women characters would not work now. I, I think that that would be str- a strike against having Animaniacs come back. And I'm I think that's one problematic because that was one of the defining jokes is essentially the old 1930s joke of, you know, howling at a woman. Yeah. Would it I think work out of, now? Out of context, absolutely, I agree with you. But I think in the context of many of the episodes where they do that joke, there's also always Dot, their sister right there going like, "Ugh, these guys are dumb. Right. But she says they're... Which doesn't make it fine, but it makes it better. I don't, I don't know. And I know Dot does it as much in terms of, you know, being going after men or other things. And But she does comment on things. But the fact that that behavior is just so out there and it's meant to be celebrated as this really funny joke. I don't, I don't think that kind of thing is as funny anymore. Mm-hmm. You have to, you have to call attention to it in a different way. Like I could I see, I could see. Not bringing back Animaniacs, but bringing back Dot. Like if Dot, <laughs> like I think Dot could have a show. I don't think Yakko and Wacko could be part of the show as they were originally. I think <laughs> just you, the Warner sister. I think you could still have the Warner sister. I think Dot, as her own in her own show, could work now. I don't think that Yakko and Wacko could work now. Not not in their whenever they had a story they could work when they're singing a song and being silly but i don't think they could work in the plot of a story so if they do like a um uh, a muppets reimagining dot is the talk show host and yakko and wacko are the producers so they're off screen but you still get them occasionally right okay 
Got it. And then maybe at the end of the first season, they're fired for sexual harassment. And that's the plot of season two. And that's the plot of season two. Is them dealing with the classes that now they have to take and the lawsuits and other things that happen. Warner Brothers on trial. <laughs> they have to change the name of the company. Yeah, they can't be the Warner Brothers anymore because the Warner Brothers are now tainted. <laughs> Instead of Warner Brothers and now... Werner Herzog, I don't know. <laughs> I, I can see that happening. Like, if it's done, it has. It's going to be more of a. I, I think it. I don't think Animaniacs would lend itself to a plot-based story like that. But, <laughs> and yet, there's a movie that serves as a series finale, which I have never seen, where they which find it, out their parentage. What movie is that? Oh, what is it called? Um. Is that Wacko's? That's not Wacko's. Yeah, Wacko's Wish. Wacko's Wish. That's what they find out in Wacko's Wish. Yeah, it's like it turns out like they're they they find out their parents were like ruling a kingdom or something, but they're dead now. Is that canon? I hate to. I think so. I think it's a finale. I don't really know. I never watched. What if Animaniacs is canon? What is the canon part of Animaniacs? I was about to say not that anything in Animaniacs <laughs> could be considered canon, but you cut me off. <laughs> I was going to correct myself. <laughs> anyway, in all your watching of all these Animaniacs episodes and remembering all these things, what was your favorite thing that we watched this time? Uh, my favorite thing that I saw is, I think, the perfect setup for a joke. Just because it's so dumb and it catches you by surprise. They're talking about the Sistine Chapel and how they're painters and they paint ceilings and Yako pulls down a chart. Just a ceiling, ceiling, ceilings. And he says, ceiling, ceiling, ceilings. And he leans in really close and confidentially says to the camera, we don't paint floors. They're beneath us. <laughs> <laughs> it's an old joke. It's an old, very vaudevillian kind of joke. But it works so, so well. So well. It's the setup, I think, that makes it. Like, the punchline itself is not that funny. But you just... <laughs> The lead up to it is what really like brings it down. I, I think my favorite thing is also from that particular episode. And it's just um, sending the idea of Michelangelo looking at wallpaper for the mm -hmm. Sistine Chapel. Just like, hmm, yeah, I think this one works. I think this is so like he stops himself and just wait a minute. Like just that really pro that's the longest part. That's the longest anyone has to think is just this, hmm, yeah, I think that would go. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> but but Anna Maurice LaMarche, Kirk Douglas slash Charlton Heston thing. It's a lot of names. I, I know. I just said a lot of things. It's a very Animaniacs reference. <laughs> <sighs> What are you doing here? Next time on Raiders Get Animated, we're diving a little bit deeper with our favorite animated horse. Let me think about that. Are there other animated horses that we like? I think this is the main one. Bojack Horseman on Netflix. We're going to talk about uh, the humor of Bojack and kind of how it experiments visually and thematically with what it's doing. We're going to talk specifically about Season 2, Episode 1, Brand New Couch. And season three, episode four, Fish Out of Water. 
Um, as a warning, maybe don't watch these if you're younger than like 18 um, or with any of the people younger than 18 in your house without parental supervision. Uh, we are, of course, going to keep our podcast family friendly as always, but uh, the episodes themselves are maybe not as even family friendly as Animaniacs is. <laughs> Not thematically family friendly, and uh, there's a specific site thing I'm thinking of in Fish Out of Water. You're, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, so that's your homework. As always, we want to say thank you to Jacob Reed for our music and to Nigel Cutino, our sound engineer. Uh, tweet at us on Twitter if you like this. Leave us a 3 a.m. rant if you want to at WG Animated. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash WGAnimated, or find our show notes and links to all this wonderful stuff, um, which we wish the Animaniacs would provide if they revived today, um, at writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. I, I think it's a whole Star Trek gag. I don't know. I don't. I've, this baloney in my pants is starting to get really uncomfortable. Oh, good night, everybody. We're done. <laughs> I should have said slacks. I should have said slacks. Slacks is funnier. Blowing my slacks. It's time, time for, for Animania. Anima- <laughs> <laughs>